So we get to talk to Cubs GM Jed Hoyer. He's always great with us. And he's here on our set. We're in Mesa, and the Cubs are hard at work. Jed, how are you doing? How's things going? And you're getting away from the Chicago winter. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I love being out here. Um, I feel like we are the best of all worlds. You know, live in the best city in the country for for 10 months, but for two months I get to escape the you uh, drive the end here. Of winter. I drive here with my dog every year. He just turned 10. I think we've done this drive. I guess we've done 17 or 18 legs of that, of that drive um, going back and forth, and I love it. It kind of clears my mind on the way out here to get excited for spring training, and then on the way back, I'll, I'll drive back to get. I'll get back by opening day, but it's a good. Uh, it's a good break, right before you start. You know, a 183 day marathon. You know, you kind of get a little break before that. But I've always done that drive, and uh, yeah, it's good. Good bonding time with the dog. What is it like here? Because the average fan looks and goes, "Boy, they haven't done anything." But it seems like, first of all, there's a lot of talent still here. B, it seems like there's a really good vibe. Yeah, it's always hard to, to assess that because I do feel like, in general, um, most springs have a pretty good vibe. Players are relaxed. You know, I think that you know, guys are, are working on different things. Um, this year's different because we have a different manager, so um, his words have that much more importance. I think that you know, the first time you go through something like that, the, his message is new and therefore fresh, and the players are really focused on it. I think it's, it's just inevitable over time it's hard to have – that same kind of laser focus from your players in year six or something like that. But in year one, the guys are really locked in on him. David's message has been wonderful. He's passionate, you know, really good attention to detail on the things that are important to him. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me, you know, whether it was you know, Joe in, in 2015 or, or David now, that's the thing the manager has to do a good job of. You know, what is important to him? What is he going to emphasize? Um, he's the new boss, and he's he's um, the players have never seen him in this light, and uh, he's telling them what, what what's expected, and they're really focused on it. So there, it was a perception which he quickly tried to tell people, "You're so wrong. You obviously don't know me." That. He's going to get this piece of paper every morning, and it's going to come from the desk of Theo and Jed. And it's going to go, here's your lineup. Here's how your pitching rotation is going to go. Here's the first guy off the bench. Go ahead and execute what we tell you to do. When you hear that, what does it make you think? I feel like that perception has been out there uh, with any you know progressive analytic front office for, for years. And you know, maybe there are teams that do it. I've never been a part of a of a group that wants to do that. Um, we have enough things to think about with, you know, a, a 40 round draft and a, you know, entire player development system and all the transactions we need to make. You know, the idea that we want to spend our time, you know, uh, mandating the lineup and the pitching usage every day is ridiculous. I think that you want to hire a really good manager and a really good coaching staff and you want to let them, you want to, you know, step back and let, and let them, them be their, their thing. And we're also aware that, you can't empower your manager and have an effect. You can't have an effective manager if you're micromanaging that manager because the players will have the sense of, you know, this guy's not really making these decisions anyway. So you have to um, empower the manager and, and make sure the players know that that's the person making out the lineup card. So I don't know where that comes from. Um, do we have um, a very big R&D department, and are those guys, you know, helping the manager all the time with different decisions? Absolutely.
it's set up that the manager is running those research projects. So Joe and, and now David would say, like, hey, can you guys do a project? I want to look at, you know, um, you know what, what the best defensive alignment is for this starting pitcher or, you know, who should be in playing third with John Lester on the mound? Should it be, you know, should we put Bodie there? Should we, we put Chris there? Should Javi play there maybe? Like, we, you know, that, that stuff's directed by the manager, not by us. It's, it's directed by the manager. So, um David's been great. He was up in, in Chicago a lot, meeting with those guys. Um, obviously, uh, you know when he decided to, to go with Chris leading off and, and Anthony too, um, that was what he wanted to do. That was his gut. But obviously, you know he had been asking our guys questions about how that would look for a while. That's not us pushing it. That's David pushing it. I'll tell you where some of it starts because I've seen people on social media. If you watch the movie Moneyball, which I'm sure you've watched, and some of it you probably chuckle at because this is what you do for a living. Us baseball fans, I love that movie where he comes down, okay, I want Hattie Berg at first, I want this guy here and anybody but that guy out of the bullpen. And that's where people think uh, an analytic-driven front office with two guys that are you know, very successful in their careers and have won multiple World Series, that's where they think it comes from. Yeah. I, I, I've said this before. The way our process works with Joe, and I'm sure it'll be similar with David, um, but Joe would send Theo and me to line up every day, like let's call it 10 or 11 in the morning for a night game, and he would send his ideas for the lineup. And I would say 99.5% of the time it would be great. Like, you know, like we wouldn't even respond, and he, he would have you know, just go ahead with it. You know, occasionally um, you might make a comment about some part of it. Like, have you thought of that? Exactly. But, it, was, it you know, never was it don't play this guy or play that guy. And, you know, a lot of times – you know, leading into a series, let's say you have a four-game series in the middle of the season, you might say, hey, here's my thought. I want to give Chris a day off on Saturday. I want to give Anthony a day off Sunday. And here's the guys that need to play. And we kind of talk through it a little bit. You know, he'd say why he thinks guys need a day off. And you go with it. There's always a back and forth. Um, but the idea of mandating lineups or, or who's playing, that doesn't happen. How much flexibility is there for – I don't know, last year I saw a couple of your players at the Rolling Stones concert, and one of them was in the lineup the next day and actually had a really good day, where they go, you know what, if you're going to give me a day off, give it to me that day because I want to go see the Stones the night before, because they are human beings and they do have a life to live. I would say that of any of the players that are, that are like, you know, the everyday guys, mm-hmm. um, if those guys are going to get a day off, they, they know about it. You know, I'd say at least a couple of days in advance. It, it would be very rare that, you know, of our our big guys that they would be that they would find out right before. For that reason, you know, if they if they're gonna have a, a Sunday off, if they want to go grab dinner and you know go out go out with some friends, that they they're gonna do that because I, I do think that that's one thing you probably have to be realistic about in this job mm-hmm. that it is every single day. And guys are going to have a life as they should have a life. They wouldn't play well if they didn't, if they mm-hmm. felt they were imprisoned by it. And so, you know, if guys are going to do that, you know, knowing what my days off are, what, when the off days are, what days I might get off, um, when I have a, a day game and then and I'll play again until that night. And so guys are always looking at the, at the schedule trying to figure out, you know, when, when can, you know, what nights do I have to, you know, um, be in bed early and what nights can I maybe, you know, go out with some friends and, and do that. And, and I think that's, um, there's no point in bristling against that. It's reality, and I think Joe did a great job of that, and I think David will too because he's in tune with the players. So we're talking to Jed Hoyer here on ESPN 1000. There, yesterday, Trevor Bauer is going, hey, it's a fastball. 
and Riz is at the plate, and he says to Jessica Mendoza, I have no idea what they're going to throw here. Somebody bang for me. He's looking for someone to bang at a trash can. Like, there's jokes all around, and there's guys who've been really serious that they don't like the punishment. Mike Trout was very vocal. My question is, because Jeff Luna lost his job over this, how do you as a GM in San Diego, now here, Theo as a team president here and a GM in Boston, how do you guys patrol that stuff and not get caught up in it go, I had no idea my guys were doing this. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's you, you try to set the right mes- send the right message that, you know, listen, we're as competitive as anybody, but, you know, we want to have success. We want to win, you know, but by doing it the right way. And I think that you have to try to, you know, permeate that from the top down. And I think that, you know, we'll, we'll certainly have meetings this spring about this. I mean, right now it's probably an easier time to have those discussions because it's so topical I and mean, everyone is almost expecting to have those meetings, but we'll, we'll have those as we, as we pair the group down. I think we'll, we'll have, we'll have meetings that, that focus on that. But I mean, I think it's been shown over and over that um, not knowing is, is, is not acceptable. It's not an excuse, you know? And I think that that's, you know, that's been, um, you know, with Jeff Lunau's punishment and what's happened, you know that, that that's not acceptable. That's not an acceptable thing to say. We have to we have to know. And uh, the truth is, is that we're not going to know everything that happens in the clubhouse. We shouldn't. That, that, that that's the players' area. That's the coaches' area. Um, you know, some stuff gets up to us, but it's not supposed to all get to us. But we're supposed to send the right message to the group. We're supposed to, um, you know, sort of uh, explain our our ethics and how we expect guys that go about it and we're expected to hire good people that will carry that out so we can't know everything um but we have to hire the right people we had nico horner up here earlier today i really like this guy and he said i was literally laying on my couch and jason mcleod called he goes and i didn't have his number in my phone yeah. he's like uh, i better answer this hello hey we need you in san diego tomorrow he's like oh my god i'm going to the big leagues and it ended his team usa hopes what do you see from him because kipnis is here grinding, trying to make a baseball team for the first time in his life. What do you see from this battle at second? Yeah, it, unclear so far. It's still early. Um, but I would say with Nico, I mean, this is a guy that's got a really bright future. Uh, I love the way he goes about his business. Um, he's he has, he has fun, but he's a very serious personality. This guy wants to win. Um, this guy wants to do it the right way. And... You know, I think we saw a glimpse into his makeup, the fact that he could get off that couch in, in September and, and go in and, and perform right away. I think some guys would be shell-shocked, you know, that mentally I wasn't going to be playing the big leagues this year, and now all of a sudden I'm thrust into this starting at shortstop every single day. I think most guys couldn't handle that. And, he, and, and it tells you, like, you know, kind of a lifetime of working hard and a lifetime of being confident and preparation allowed him to, to do that. So he's wired the right way. He's going to have a really bright, bright future, bright career with us. You know whether that's now or in the future, and we'll decide that as as the spring goes on. Um, you know, do I think his development is complete? No, I don't. I think that we, by definition, that was kind of short circuited a bit when we when we brought him to the big leagues last year. And um, some guys, you make the decision that they're going to develop some in the big leagues, and then some guys you decide they need some more seasoning. You know, we're not there yet as far as that decision, but it's nice to. Nice to know whether it's now or whether it's in the near future, this guy's going to be a really good Cub for a long time. Well, how do you guys handle the coronavirus stuff as a team? Uh, I know your doctors are on top of Dr. Adams and everybody else, but how do you handle going to England? Is that at all 
in question? How do you handle it in a locker room where you got guys coming from all over the world? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you said it, you said it well. I mean, Doc Adams has been on top of it, and I've had a number of conversations with him you know, over the last week or so as the, the threat has, has gotten more serious. And, you know, I think the honest answer to that is that I think that that's going to be um, – a huge topic over the next couple of weeks that you know we have have more meetings and we obviously there's the the uh, the London decision um, that you know we're gonna we're gonna leave here at some point and, and start traveling around you know right now we're pretty locked into the greater Phoenix area at some point we're gonna start traveling around and um, you know Major League Baseball I think will will have a huge hand in those decisions but I, I think obviously you know they'll be taking guidance from us as well so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a huge topic over the next you know potentially a whole summer, but certainly over the next few weeks as we start to travel. And, uh, you know, I can't add much detail beyond that, but other than the fact that it's, um, it's you know, something that we're taking seriously and that, you know, we obviously have to have a lot of concern about. Last one for you, and we greatly appreciate your time. As you look at your team, going into 15, you were coming off a 73-89 and 89 season, and the year before that, 99, and the year before that, 101, and all of a sudden – you exploded in, what, 97 games. Now, coming into this year, people go, there's talent there, but, yeah, the Cubs' window has closed. Do you almost relish this time? Yeah, I mean, I've always said that the, the two most fun summers I've ever had were 2003 in Boston and, and 2015 in Chicago, and, and that's because there was a zero expectation. So everything we were you're doing in those years was just gravy, you know, that you were um, – you know, really surprising people, and it was the whole city started to realize this team was 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 really good, and you know that's a rare thing to to be able to do. And obviously, I'd say the eighteen and nineteen seasons almost felt like the antithesis of, of that experience, where we had super high expectations and we fell short of those expectations. And um, you know that's it is, that's not a good feeling, at, at, you know, for a fan, for an office to to know that. Um, that you're not playing up to your potential. Um, so yeah, I think the fact that there's some naysayers, I, th- I, I see that as a good thing that you know we can we can surprise some people and we can uh, you know we can hopefully um, you know have that that same kind of you know vibe that we had in 2015. It'll never come out of nowhere like that, but it, it certainly uh, it'd be nice to surprise people. But we still have a ton of talent on this roster. I still look around the the diamond, and you know these are there's a largely a group that. That won 97 games in 15 and, and, and won 103 games in 16, um, but we just haven't performed to our expectations the last few years. And 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 the part that I've I've said this so many times on the air, but the part that you know for me is that you know when we were really good in 15 and 16 and parts of 17, it was just um, it was difficult to beat us. We were going to throw strikes, we were going to catch the ball, uh, we were going to run the bases well. Um, and we had good at bats up and down the lineup, and it felt like, you know, and we showed up to play consistently. And it felt like if you were going to beat us, you were going to beat us. But then, and then the next day we we're going to show up and do the same thing. And you just, it felt like we were able to stack good performance, clean baseball on top of each other. And that's and that that to me is the key to winning the marathon. That things change in the playoffs, but as far as like winning the marathon, you just got to stack good series on top of good series on top of good series. We have not done that for the last two years. We. Tons of mistakes, you know. Base running has been been atrocious, and just all those little one percent here, one percent there things we add haven't up. done, and they add up, and they, they, they then you don't you start start losing series, and um, so to me, we just have to get back to that we have the talent, um, 
you know, to, to win the division. We have the talent to go deep in October, but it only works if we go back to playing the way we did, you know, 15, 16, second half of 17, um, the way we've been playing the last two years. We're just not clean enough. We're not efficient enough. And we don't have a big enough talent gap over our competitors to make up for that. We just don't. So we're going to have to you know, play better team baseball to, to get where we need to go. Thanks for taking time. All right. Thanks By guys. the way, have you told Kipnis how nervous you got when he hit the foul oh. ball in game seven? I think I've told this story. I was um, that winter after – um, I was like out Christmas shopping on Michigan Ave, and I, I just bump into him on, on Michigan Ave, and end up, end up talking to him about the whole the whole series. I mean, and, and it has to be bizarre for a, I haven't talked to him since we signed him about this, just because I'm trying to turn the page, you know. But um, it had to be such a strange feeling for a kid from Chicago to to be thrust in the middle of that, where you know he was almost I mean, he might have been you know in the MVP discussion for the for the series, and and, and could have you know taken a swing that could have ended the you know, ended that series for us, and um, he was such a integral part of, of of that of that you know that run, and then to be on the other side of it, and then to live in Chicago that winter after in the afterglow of the World Series, I mean, it had to be a strange time for him. And his round the corner neighbor, yeah, Bartman. Steve Bartman, I know. Crazy. crazy. Thanks, All man. Right. Thanks. That's Jed Hoyer. We'll be right back.